Brilliant. Well, it's really good to see you here this evening um, at tonight's identity event. Uh, my name's Phil. I'm on the staff team here. And tonight, our, our evening is, as it says on the screen, about identity and football. And we've got our, our guest, uh, Richard Leadbeater, to join us. And in a, in a few minutes, he's going to share his story with us of his journey of life in professional football. Um, and bef- but before we interview Richard, um, I've just got a couple of housekeeping notices very quickly. Uh, the first is if you need the loo, um, they're just off the corridor behind me, um, and the accessible loo is just to my left behind the coffee serving area. Um, and if the fire alarm goes off at any point uh, and we have to evacuate the building, uh, the fire assembly point is in the car park. Uh, just follow the crowd sensibly and, and you'll get there. Um, that shouldn't happen. We're not planning for it to happen. Um, so this evening is going to be similar to every good sporting event. It's going to be an event of two halves. The first half, um, over the first uh, 40 minutes or so, uh, Richard is going to tell us about his life. Sorry, I'm going to call Richard Leddy, by the, by the way. Uh, that's his nickname. I, I've known uh, Leddy for nearly 20 years now, isn't it? Is it that long? It is. Yeah, uh, 15 years. Um, and uh, 10, let's go 10, let's go 10, let's go 10, um, and, um, and uh, that's, that's how, how, how we go. So if I, if I use the name Leddy, it's because Richard Leadbeater um, likes to be known as Leddy. Great. Um, so we're going to be following this journey, journey. Uh, just towards the, the halftime interval, um, we're going to have uh, a song by Colin, um, in-house musician, um, and then we'll have some, uh, some halftime orange slices or something a bit better, I think. Um, and, then, and then the second half is going to be one of Q&A. Uh, we've got a couple of ways you can get involved in that Q&A sesh. Uh, they're going to come up on the screen now. Brilliant. Uh, one way is uh, by visiting Slido on Google um, and entering the code RLW2. And then you can type a question. You can also see other people's questions on that website, and you can vote for them, which is quite exciting. Um, and then I'll, I'll be on that website too on my phone, and we can, we can work through the questions. Um, uh, the other way is we've got a, 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 a number there you can text your question into. That'll hit the phone here on the desk, and I'll be able to ask those too. Um, and then um, after the Q&A sesh, Colin's going to sing us another song, and then I'll wrap up the evening. So, without further ado, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kick off. Um, and Richard, just to um, give us Leddy, okay, Leddy, just to give us a bit of a, 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 a brief introduction to you. Uh, can I ask you a few questions, uh, just about you now? Um, do you have a family? I do. Um, good evening, everybody. Nice to be here, by the way. Uh, I do have one wife. Uh, she's called Libby, and I have three girls called Hannah. Rosie and Katie, they are 14, 12, 9. Don't ask me their, don't ask me their first dates, but uh, yes, so one wife, three girls. Um, yeah. You're, you're the total opposite to me. I've got three boys. So, oh, so we, could oh, we could do a swap, yeah, we could, couldn't we? Right here, yeah. 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 We'll talk dowries later on. <laughs> um, so, well, what, do you do, what do you do now, and how long have you been doing, doing it? So, now um, I. I'm pastor of a church called um, King's Church in Guildford. Uh, we started from scratch five years ago, so I've been leading that particular church for five years. Before that, I was serving in a church in Birmingham, which is where um, the context we first met, I think. Um, yes, yeah, so I've been involved in Christian ministry for probably the last 15 years. Wow. 
Um, and what do you do in your downtime to relax? I love sports, anything sport-related. Um, I, I don't play football anymore, actually, but I run. I play tennis in a, in a local tennis team. My wife and children are hockey players. And, you know, the last two weeks... I swore I'd never play hockey. Um, but the last two or three weeks, I've done this sort of back-to-hockey thing um, for sort of total beginners. It's very frustrating being really terrible at something. And also, my back is just... I don't know if anyone plays hockey. It's just a t- completely unnatural position for anyone to be in. But um, so sport, watching, playing, read, um, love coffee shops and um, hang out with my family. Brilliant. Okay, so quick fire round then. Yeah. Uh, oh Mac or KFC? KFC. Well, ooh, few, a few booze there. What are what are they? <laughs> <laughs> You've got girls, you wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, s- summer or winter? Summer. Chess or Connect Four? Connect Four. <clears throat> Tea or coffee? That's so tough. I, I was saying this to one of my children the other day. If there's a drink I couldn't live without, it's, it's a morning cup of tea. Oh. But I do love coffee. But tea is the short answer. Tea. Okay, this is a <clears throat> bit harder. United or City? United. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's not very PC, is it? I can't stand either, but... um... (laughs) Okay, and now really tricky. Uh, Marmite, do you love it or hate it? Hate it. Yeah, passionately. We're not very very similar, you and I, at all. How we're friends, I have no idea. I didn't know it started so tough. Those are tough questions. (laughs) Do they get easier, the questions? (laughs) Well, I hope so. Um, So, Lenny, um, you... Tell us... Tell us about where your story began, um, uh, just that journey into, into professional football. Uh, where did it all begin? <clears throat> it began with my mother, who saw an advert in a local paper. Um, I think she thought I was lazy. And so she saw an advert in a local paper when I was about nine, eight or nine, and she said, You're, I'm going to take you to this football team, local to me. It uh, wasn't a Christian home, so they, they played on a Sunday, so that wasn't a sort of issue. So I went along on uh, Sundays, played from a local team, under nines, under tens. Uh, I was quite quick, naturally, quite sort of fast. And my dad took me over the park pretty much every night after school to work on my left foot. And so my dad invested heavily... Um, in me, and I love doing that, you know, kicking that with a football over the park with my dad. And so I got, I learned quite quickly football, having never played before, went along to this team and um, uh, started playing, loved it, was quite good. Uh, shall I keep going? So at 12, I got spotted by a local scout, and that was sort of sidled up to mum and dad and said, would you like to come training with us? So where, where, were, where were you at this time? Uh, so I was still with this Sunday team, and this was um, back home. I think my, my parents said a, a Wolves scout has come up to us today and said, would you like to go to... The, I think so it's so you're a, Wolverhampton born and bred then? N- Dudley or Dudley. Dudley. As um, <laughs> most people seem to know. By. Did you know Dudley had an earthquake about 15 years ago? This is genuinely true. 
And um, the, the, the story around at the time was that it caused 15 million pounds worth of improvements <laughs> to the town centre. Uh, it's that kind of place. Grew up in Dudley, Wolves are the local team. So when my parents said, oh, there's a scout come and said, would you like to train at their school of excellence? Uh, I didn't really have to give it anywhere near as much thought as some of your questions you find just. Um, so off I went as a 12-year-old to train, and it was essentially like being on trial every week because yeah. there were hundreds of boys doing right. the same sort of thing. So I carried on playing for my Sunday team and trained at the Wolves School of Excellence every, I think, Monday night. And, um, yeah, my dad said, wear a, wear a sparkling white top. This was in the days before sort of luminous yellow. <laughs> wear a sparkling white top so that you stand out. So it was all sort of mind games, even then. Um, so and I just got invited back every year. Was it, becoming, was it becoming more and more obvious that you were pretty good? So, for example, I, I remember dreading the, the playground game of football where everybody was, everybody was lined up on the, on, 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 against the wall mm. and two captains were picked. Never me, by the way. Sorry, I'm just going to cathart for a second. <laughs> um, and, and then generally there was... Uh, there was me left at the end. Yes. Um, that's, that's how it happened for me. It's were just going you... to turn into a counselling session. Yeah. <laughs> could you... Could you, could you... <laughs> uh, were you at the other end of the spectrum? Yeah. You were the kid. Everybody... <laughs> Thanks, lady. Yeah. This, this dissimilarity between us has become <laughs> more and more apparent. Um, you were there with your Marmite sandwiches, probably, weren't you, in your Man City shirt. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I was. Um... Yes, so I didn't, uh, yes, I wasn't, I was, because I was decent at football, I was pretty popular. Um, As soon as you get invited to train at the centre of excellence of the local team that most people in your school support, your friendship group swells because, um, yeah, you, so, yeah, all that sort of came, came along at 12, 13, 14. Wow. And then, and then, how did you make the the move from you know, just just being scouted into uh, move into professional football? So every year at this school of excellence, I was invited back for the next season. Um, up until sixteen, when I finished my GCSEs, and the goal of those years of the centre of excellence was to get a. Um, it's called a YTS contract, so a youth training scheme contract at Wolves, which was a full-time contract, um, I suppose like an apprenticeship. Um, and again, I was offered that along with about 20 other boys. Um, and do, do, Richard, do you want to do A-levels or do you want to play football every day? <laughs> So, so I, I chose that. You had to do a sort of one-day-a-week course uh, a, a sort of study as, as part of the YTS, which I did. But to be honest, that took a serious backseat to yeah. playing football training. As part of that, we cleaned boots for the first-team players and cleaned the toilets and swept the stands and did various odd jobs. But it felt like I was... So I used to watch the Wolves team from the stand and sing and cheer and and then I was in a dressing room with them and training alongside them. So in one sense it was a dream 
come true. Yeah. That was at 16, so that was a quite a big turning point because not everyone got offered a YTS contract. Yeah. But that was full-time football from 16. Wow. And what, was, um, what were your aspirations at that point? Just as the goal of, of the School of Excellence was to get a YTS contract, the goal of the YTS scheme is to get a professional contract at 18. So the YTS scheme lasted for two years, um, and everyone just wants a contract, which is yeah. where you go from being paid 45 quid a week and cleaning other people's boots to being paid a bit more money and having other people clean your boots. And so the, <laughs> the, the goal was to become a professional footballer. So we were playing full-time and rubbing shoulders and training with some very good players. Um, but the dream was to become a professional footballer at Wolves. And so everything about those two years was was geared to that end for, for all 20 boys. And, and what was going on in terms of identity in this whole process? How is it shaping who you were? Well, it's, it's obviously had a, a huge impact on who I am and, and still to this day. I, I mean, we may talk about this as we go along, but uh, very ruthless world because... I mean, literally, hundred, I was a centre-forward as well, so every boy wanted to be a centre-forward playing for Wolves. So there were hundreds of, of people who came on trial, who came and went. Um, I, I, was, I was brought up in a, n- not a Christian home, but a sort of moral home. And so I had a sense of right and wrong and fairness. So trampling over people didn't come natural to me. Essentially, it's a pretty dog-eat-dog world. So that was going on. Football, like so much of life, is so wrapped up in your performance as well. So you don't get offered a YTS contract or a professional contract by not working hard and not succeeding, and in my case, not scoring. And so I'd have this sort of total yo-yo existence of if I scored and played well, I I felt great. If I didn't play very well and hadn't scored, I felt terrible. I thought it's all over. And even worse than that, you know, we were chatting on the phone the other day about this. This will sound awful, but it, but it's true. Uh, if my team won four nil and I didn't score, I was really quite sad. If my team lost three two and I scored both goals, I was delighted. Which says something about me. I know that does, but. It's that sort of world that my personal performance was everything. And when that's good, you feel good. And when it's not, you feel terrible. Actually, it's not just me. I read in Peter Crouch's autobiography just the other day. He, talked to, he told us about Ruud van Nistelrooy. He was a centre forward for Manchester United about 10 years ago. And he said exactly the same thing about him. He said, when Man United won 4-0 and he didn't score, he came in and threw his boots in the changing room and threw his shirt on the floor. And everyone's going, but we won. And he's like... I know, but I didn't score. So it's very, um, very selfish. Yeah. And and everything is about winning and performance, and almost nothing else matters. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, you're you're a Christian minister now, hmm. um, and and I imagine if you had said to your 16-year-old or your 12-year-old self. Um, you're going to be a vicar one day. Um, that, that would have slightly sent everyone into hysterics. 
particularly all the boys lined up against the wall, w- waiting for Lady to pick them. Yeah. Um, what was going on spiritually then in those sort of formative years? I do. When I when you explain all that, I think it's ridiculous that I'm sitting here now. Ridiculous, speaking as a Christian, let, a Christian, let alone a Christian minister. Um, what was going on? Nothing, to be honest. Um, I, I, I suppose if you'd have pushed me, I said I'd have probably said there was a God. I suppose my view of God was a bit like football manager, that I was quite polite as a kid. I was all right at school. I wasn't very rebellious. I was good at sport. And I suppose I thought, if there is a God, he'd be thrilled with me because my performance is pretty good. You know, I'm moral. I never do anything really terrible. So I suppose I thought of God as a big football manager in the sky who looked down at my performance and must have thought, yeah, good lad, he's in my team. Um, We never went to church. We never talked about Christian things. So it just wasn't on my radar until my sister called a family conference when I was 16, just about the time I was was about to sign for Wolves as a YTS boy. And she said, um, my sister's 10 10 years older than me, and she called a family conference and said, we've got two bits of news, my boyfriend and I. Number one is we're going to get married. Number two is we've become Christians. And my head was in a sort of spin because I thought, honestly, I thought Christians were weird because all the Christians I'd met or seen on TV were sort of cardigan-wearing, sandal-wearing, not like professional footballers. <laughs> and so I... Th- I realize I'm revealing myself to be uh, quite judgmental and horrible. But um, uh, I couldn't work out how my sister could be a Christian because my sister wasn't weird. And yet she was a Christian. So that got me thinking. My parents are ultra supportive about everything. So their response was, fantastic, we're going to come along to church with you. I do wonder sometimes if my sister had said something like, we've joined some weird cult, whether my parents would have still said, fantastic, we're going to come (laughs) along with you. Um, It happened to be we've become Christians, and so they went along. I, because I was cool at school, I was popular, I was desperate to avoid any association with church, so I left it well alone for for a while. They kept badgering me to go to this sort of youth group, so I eventually caved in and went along. But that's where it began, really. I blame my sister. Um, So then, um, what happened then when you started, you you joined Wolves, uh, got the YTS. Was there a big sort of breakthrough moment when suddenly they discovered Pele is among us? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I suppose in in terms of the YTS and football, I, I... I got picked in the team from the off, so I was playing regularly in a team with the boys in the year above. And yeah, I, I do. I wasn't the best. There were aspects of my game which which were weak, and so I'm surprised that it went well in some way. Um, so I played regularly, I scored, I was top scorer for two years running in the youth team. Um, and so I, at the end of the 
YTS, I was offered a professional contract, which was the, the goal, along with um, two other boys. Uh, but there wasn't a sort of moment of that game sealed it for me. I think it was consistently doing pretty well. Mm. And of course, you're trying to impress people, not just on the pitch, but you know, you're trying to shine the boots, the shiniest, and the toilet you clean, you want wants to be the sparkliest, and the coffee you make for the manager wants to be the nice. You know, you're partly trying to um, impress people in all kinds of areas. Maybe I got signed as a pro because I made a decent coffee. I have no idea, but um, <laughs> I did get signed as a pro when I was 18. Wow. And um, so d- did you play for Wolves? I played in the first team once. <laughs> um, so I was in the youth team and the reserves for um, five years in total. Uh, Travelled with the first team squad lots. Trained with them lots. But only ever actually played in the first team at Wolves once, which was, um, uh, no disrespect to South End, but it was South End away, uh, who were at that time, this was in what's now the championship, so Division 1 or whatever it was then, Wormbillow, the Premier League. <coughs> And it was the worst ground in that division by some distance. It, but it was on a Sunday afternoon. It was on Sky 3 or whatever it was then. And so all my friends gathered to watch it in the pub. And I came on as a substitute. And the commentator said, I was 18. And the commentator said, here comes Richard Ledbeater making his debut for the first team. He looks more like a choir boy than a footballer. <laughs> which went down really well with my friends. I'm still known as the choir boy. <laughs> Uh, that was that was great. I loved doing that, um, but only played once in the first team. Wow! But then um, it all changed at that point. Is that right? Um, just after that point, so that was in my first season as a professional at Wolves. So I thought, oh, it's onwards and upwards. Um, so everything had been to that point. I get selected for my Sunday team, I get selected for the School of Excellence, I get selected for YTS, I get selected for Pro, I get selected for the first team. You know, I'll I'll be an England regular in no time. But it didn't quite work out like that. Uh, So, what happened? Um, The... the, I can't blame it on the manager entirely, but the manager of Wolves changed. So it was Graham Taylor. Um, he got sacked, um, probably for offering me a professional contract, actually. But um, <laughs> So he got sacked, and another manager come in, came in who didn't know who I was and knew nothing of all that sort of history and background. Um, so I, I um, eventually didn't get offered another contract. Wow. Um, I, w- I was sent out on loan to, to Hereford for three months to try and get some sort of experience, um, which went really well. And I thought, oh, I'll come back and be in the first team. And, but I came back and got released. My contract wasn't renewed. So at 21, having thought it's onwards and upwards, 21, there was a threat that my career was over before it started. Wow. Um- so let's, let's just go back throughout this sort of 16 to, to 21 period. What was going yeah. on um, I- I back home, it's in, I- spiritually speaking? 
Yep, so I went along to this youth group and I think I was just shocked. I think I was probably one of these people who I thought I knew what Christianity was about because I'd, I'd been to an assembly at school and they talked about Christianity and so I thought I was an expert. And we do Christmas and Easter and I sort of knew the stories. And... But I, it just revealed to me as, as I met Christians, I thought, gosh, they've got something I haven't got. I don't know what it is. But, but I quite like it. That was going on. Confidence, not an arrogance, a confidence, an assurance, a peace, something. They had something, I didn't know what it was. Uh, I think the other thing that was going on was, as I heard the Bible taught and explained to me, I realized I knew nothing about Christianity. And the more I heard Christianity explained the Jesus that I thought was a sort of slightly wet individual who flounced around Palestine wearing a nighty was awesome, was loving and kind, but also immensely powerful and authoritative. That was a shock. I think the other shock was that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Um, so having thought that God would be thrilled with me because I was, uh, I was polite to my parents and, and half-decent at school and, and, and good at football, I had no idea that I'd rejected God and rebelled against him and, and that that was a serious problem, that I didn't love God and that there was a consequence, according to Jesus, for that. So I wouldn't have really been able to articulate that then, but I think several things were going on in my mind. One is Christians have got something I'd like. Two is Jesus is way better than I thought he was. Three is I'm way worse than I thought I was. Hmm. And so as a 16-year-old, it was slight sort of, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. And what was, what was the big, um, big challenge to you then at that point? Um, from going, hang on, this is, this is a bit unusual. What, what, was, the, what was the big kind of moment? Almost Spirit, like? Spiritually? Yeah. Some very patient people in, a, in the church where we were, they were just very kind to me, gave me a Bible and answered my questions and spent time with me. Uh, so nobody ever sort of forced me to do anything. No. But it was very clear. It got to a point when I, when I sort of thought, am, am I in or am I, am I not in? Am I going to be serious about this Christianity thing? Or am I not? I mean, to use other language, am, am I really going to follow Jesus and be a Christian? Or not? Hmm. And so as a 16-year-old, I was encouraged to pray a prayer to become a Christian which I did so that was obviously a big moment I now realise the biggest moment in my life but again at the time I had no idea what I'd done no idea that um, Christianity and, and Jesus changed everything about everything I think I thought at the time okay now I'm a Christian so I'll go to church for an hour a week on a Sunday, Jesus can have an hour and the rest of the week just carry on as normal. 
and the, the longer I sort of grew between 16 and 21, the, the more it was explained to me, I suppose, that following Jesus, being a, being a Christian, affects everything about everything all the time, not just an hour mm. on a Sunday. Um, but a big moment was, was 16, sort of praying a prayer saying, yeah, I, I do want him. He is amazing. I know I'm not amazing. I know I need his forgiveness. I know I need his death on the cross for me in, in my place. I, I know that. Uh, I'm in. Hmm. Yeah. And how did your... Did, did you tell, your, tell any of your, your colleagues at the football club? No. Did any of them... Did any of them... So no, no one knew that you were Christian? No. In fact, to my shame... Uh, a few years later, I discovered that there was a Christian at the club at the same time, and somebody told him that I was a Christian. And his response to that was, Leddy, a Christian, which um, said much more about me than it did him. Wow. A, a big turning point, actually. So I kept it quiet. I think probably I didn't really, I think probably I was embarrassed. I think I was probably, faith is for the Sunday thing, but, but I'm after a professional contract. And that's not going to help me get that. Yeah. So I think I probably pushed it over there. Um, another big turning point for me was um, another footballer, actually, at Wolves at the time, who was a first-team player, uh, and also a Christian, which I didn't know about. But he came to me in the gym one day, and he said... Lady, you're a Christian, aren't you? So I was a sort of um, rake, thin, weedy little rake of a player. And he was a huge centre-half, very scary and authoritative. And he said, Lady, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I was stunned. I don't know how he knew. To this day, I don't know how he knew. And he, I said, yes, whatever you say. And if he just said, are you a Muslim? I'd have said, yes, honestly. Whatever he said, I was. <laughs> Uh, he said there's a Bible study at my house tonight you'll be there so uh, okay so it was a Bible study for professional football players who are Christians in the sort of Midlands so I um, I went it it was a funny journey I got in my car and thought no I can't and then I got in my car and thought no I must and then so I got there late but I got there and to meet other Christian professional footballers um, Cyril Regis was one of them, huh. who was a lovely Christian man, was a huge moment. So people who knew Christianity and who knew football, who knew the challenges, who were stunning the Bible together, that massively, massively changed the game mm. for me in terms of my Christian walk. Mm. So, um, so turning back to your, your career then, uh, which was which was slightly floundering. You came to the end of your second year, yeah. Uh, and then and then what happened? So I got released. So they said, "Look, we're not renewing your contract. So um, all the best." Um, wow. So they'd invested in me from the age of twelve. Uh, I mean, once I only know football. I don't know the sort of business world, or but. Uh, you know, in general, you're a, if you're an employee, in one sense, you're a sort of piece of meat. You know, you do a job, and when we don't need you to do the job, you're going to get another job somewhere else. 
And it was very much like that. So um, at 21, I was thinking, okay, what do I do? What do we do now? Find a club, I suppose. So I had a, a sort of horrible summer of, of going around four or five different clubs, trialling. I thought in my arrogance, because I'd been at Wolves, I thought, you know, why, why aren't Real Madrid phoning me up? Um, I eventually ended up back at Hereford, which is where I'd been at lo- on loan, and I signed uh, as a professional for them um, and played in their first team for a, for a season. Wow. And then I was, I was bought um, by Stevenage. Shall I tell you, do you know the, the, the fact? Shall I tell you the fact? Cool. This, is the, um, this is the true story. Somebody told me this recently. I'm a, I'm a record holder for Stevenage. It's not a particularly glamorous record. Um, it will need explaining as well. The headline is, I'm the cheapest, most expensive signing in the Football League. So what that means is, um, Stevenage, I'm the record signing for Stevenage. They've never paid any more money for any other player than me, still to this day. I mean, it's something it's like £25,000 or something like that. But I'm their record signing. But of all the club's record signing in the league, that is the lowest anyone has ever paid. <laughs> so, so, for example, if a Man United fan is talking to a Stevenage fan in the bar, and the Stevenage fan says, what's your club record signing? They'd say, oh, Paul Pogba, 89 million. Stevenage fan, who's your record signing? <laughs> Richard Ledbetter, 25,000. Um, so I got bought by Stevenage from Hereford. Um, I suppose, again, that was probably, I was about 22, 23. Even then, I'm thinking, oh, I'll be back. I'll be back up the league and in the big time soon. <laughs> but uh, I wasn't. And so I played with them for, for two and a half seasons. And that's when my passion for football really started to change. And um, was there a reason for that? Yes, I think the longer I was a Christian and the more I understood about Christianity, the more I came to think Jesus is life-changing in a way that football isn't. I mean, it gives people highs and lows and so on, but it doesn't change people's eternities. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if you lose on a Saturday. I was in a world where it matters enormously, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if Liverpool don't win the league. And if you're a Liverpool fan, it does matter. But it, does, but it doesn't really matter. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't. If Christianity is true, Jesus isn't in that category of it might not really... Because if what Jesus says is true, it is a life or death, heaven or hell It issue. really matters. It, it really yeah. matters. And so, again, I'm speaking as a 42-year-old Christian minister looking back as a 23-year-old arrogant footballer. But I started to think, I'd rather spend my life telling people about Jesus than I would kicking a bag of wind around, not very successfully anymore. Uh, So my passion to to do Christian ministry increased, and my passion to play football decreased. That was going on at that point. And so you became a worse and worse footballer. Yeah. But a better and better Christian. Better and better Christian, 
or I more think, and more passionate Christian? Uh, a, a, a more um, thought-through Christian. Yeah. Yeah. So how is, how is your identity changing? Well, it was... Uh, my identity was still wrapped up in performance. Um, so, again, it, it was really hard becoming a Christian in many ways, but it, I found it really hard to get out of the mindset of God treating me like a player. In other words, I used to impress my football manager with my football ability. Now I've got to impress God with my morality. And if I don't perform, well, he'll be disappointed and he may even kick me off the team. Um, so that was going on. But the more I got to know Jesus and the, the good news of Christianity, the more I realized, and this was, the, again, the massive game changer, that God is not like a football manager. That um, he sent Jesus to die for me, knowing that I was a filthy wretch and a rebel. So if he loved me at that point, um, of course, I, of course, there's understanding that there's nothing that I can do to, to get off God's team and nothing I can do to get in God's team. It's just by his free gift of generosity that he loves rebels like me. Um, that, that, was, um, that was sort of growing in my understanding. And, and there was a security that came to that. There was a security because if God loves me no matter what, then it doesn't, it doesn't really matter whether my football managers love me or if I'm in the team because I've, I'm loved by the God of the universe anyway. So in terms of identity, it wasn't, I wasn't so much sort of yo-yo anymore. Um, more sort of um, even. So clearly football was becoming a, um, a dead end, really. Is, yeah. that, is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I, I really didn't like it for the last couple of years. I, I played, I, so I stopped playing professionally, played semi-professionally for a while, um, really to fund my way through university because I, I didn't go to university when I was 16 because I played football or 18. Um, so I went to university when I was 24, did a theology degree as I began exploring Christian ministry. And um, oh, I hated it. We, we used to, you know, travel all over the country, playing not very good level. I used to think, why am I playing at this level? Why am I not very good anymore? Yeah. Why am I doing this? Um, but I sort of, I, I did it in the end for a couple of years to, um, to pay my way through university. Um, and gave up as quickly as possible as a 26-year-old hmm. and haven't played since. So don't ask me to do any keepy-uppies because <laughs> you'll never believe I was a professional footballer. Oh, that opportunity <laughs> passed me by then. Um, and so, so then you did theology degree. Um, did, did that take you into church work? Yes, yeah, sort of. Um, so I, I did a theology degree from the age of 24 to 27 
Uh, and uh, when I finished that, the church where I was going uh, offered an apprenticeship. So it felt like going back to the YTS scheme. <laughs> um, I didn't have to clean the vicar's boots or anything like that, so that was all right. Uh, yeah, so, so at the end of my theology degree, I worked for a church full-time for a year, um, doing some study and um, dipping my toe in the water with Christian ministry. That turned into a, a job um, for, for another four years, doing some sort of youth work and, and things. Uh, but that gave me the, 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 the taste for, for wanting to do more, I think. Yeah, I, I, I was so glad to have stopped playing football and started doing that for, for a whole host of reasons. Um, not least, as I said before, telling people about Jesus changes lives in a way that nothing else does. Although many, many uh, football fans would disagree. But, that's, um, but I, I think there's, there's that, sense of, um, that sense of doing something in, that will last in eternity, isn't there? Yeah. About, um, about being, a, being a minister, telling people about Jesus. Yes, but also, you know, it's interesting you asked about Manchester, Manchester City, Man United. Man United fans aren't very happy at the moment. They were 10 years ago, now they're not. Man City fans were happy last year, now they're not. Liverpool fans are happy this year. In five years' time they may not be, and they weren't five years ago. And so, even even for a football fan of the very best teams, you can't always win the league. So that even then, not even just playing, but supporting, there is a sense of the thing I love that brings me joy also brings me great pain and displeasure at times. But that's not the case with, with Jesus. I'm not saying Jesus makes you happy. There's something much deeper than that going on. But it's not a roller coaster ride with Jesus because the thing that you are, uh, I was going to say supporting, adoring, mm. isn't fickle. Mm. It lasts. So it's not just an eternal thing, a forever thing. It's a rock solid now, consistent confidence. Mm. Yeah. Lady, we've run out of time, but I've got a couple of questions here to ask you about yeah. um, about some of the some of the um, uh, yeah some of the things that you encountered. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to ask Colin um, to come up um, and just sing us a song. Uh, the the oranges are going to be brought round, um, and <laughs> uh, and the team are going off to get those now. Although it's, it sounds quite it smells quite eerily um, eerily like something better than oranges. Isn't it? <laughs> Good. Um, uh, so um, they'll be brought around the tables. There's going to be tea and coffee served in the foyer. And then after half-time interval, we'll, we'll be back here um, and there'll be a chance to, uh, to, to post in some questions on the board. But for now, Colin's uh, going to sing Slippery Pearls. Is that on? Yes, it is. So Slippery Pearls is about what we strive to achieve. And quite often it just slips through our fingers like Slippery Pearls. What you hold back 
from the minute, the minute will lack. If you don't claim it from the hour, then the hour takes it back. All our wants will pass quickly. What remains is our need. Mama, don't make no medicine to cure that disease. Nothing is certain here in this world. You drop all your treasures just like slippery pearls. Oh, it's hard to find a handle on the things that you see. So they're running right through your fingers just like slippery pearls. What you don't lock up inside your heart, the world will consume. It might slip right through the throat of greed or through the floorboards in your room. There's two thieves named pain and pleasure, but neither one is true. You ransom your flesh to save your bones, then they come and take those two. Nothing is certain. Here in this world, you drop all your treasures just like slippery pearls. Oh, it's hard to find a handle on the things that you see. So they're sliding right through your fingers just like slippery pearls. They don't make a map, no, to guide you through the badlands of your soul. You could lose yourself to blind conceit or to the hunger for control. Try to share it all with your elements and it's still gonna fall apart. Cause the world outside don't pose no threat like the darkness in your hearts. Nothing is certain. Here in this world, you drop all your treasures just like slippery pearls. Oh, it's hard to find a handle on the things that you see. Cause it's sliding right through your fingers just like slippery pearls. Nothing is certain here in this world. You drop all your treasures just like slippery pearls. Oh, it's hard to find a handle on the things that you see. Cause they slide right through your fingers just like slippery pearls. Brilliant. So, um, teas and coffees or refill of drinks, and then uh, just the nibbles are going to come round. Um, we'll, be, we'll be back here in about 20 minutes, I think. Yeah, 20 minutes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, um, we're going we're gonna to put it back together again. Um, it's just some, uh, some people coming in. Uh, a couple of, couple of fun uh, questions. 
Uh, did you ever meet um, John Richards or Steve Bull? Uh, I, di- I did. I cleaned Steve Bull's boots. And um, when I played in the first team, I played up front with him. And did you, uh, did you, who was, the, who, okay, here's another question. This is my own question, by the way. Who was, who was the biggest name uh, that cleaned your boots? Um, I think Robbie Keane used to clean my boots no for way. a short spell. Um, <laughs> Till yes. you were asking him to sign your autograph book. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, huh. So, um, so here's, here's a good question. Did your expectation of what pro football life was like match up to your experience? That is a good question. Yes and no. <laughs> That's probably an easy explaining, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes, in the sense of playing football every day with your heroes was great. I loved the competition, the um, learning, training, testing yourself. The facilities were nothing what they are now, but but they were great. We were playing in stadiums with beautiful pitches. and um, I never was good enough to be paid lots and lots of money and have lots and lots of fame. But even on a sort of low level, you can't enjoy um, little boys walking past you in the street, nudging their fathers, going, I think, doesn't he play for Wolves? Although one time I was walking down the street and a little boy, you could see, he, he saw me coming towards him and he, he looked at me as if to say, I think I know who this is. And he, he nudged his dad and he said, Dad, dad that's Carl Robinson. <laughs> I don't know who Carl Robinson is, but um, it wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> So yes and no. Um, again, that that sort of um, high and low thing. I wasn't expecting to be so severe. I wasn't expecting to feel so low after performances where I didn't really perform. I wasn't expecting to be cast aside so quickly and easily um, I'm very glad I did it I'm really glad I did it I'm also very glad I'm no longer in it yeah do you do you ever bump into your old um, colleagues managers um, I don't really keep in touch with, with any players the, the guy who uh, was in the gym who said you're a Christian aren't you uh, he and I keep in touch a little bit uh, I did once bump into Graham Taylor um, in a slightly bizarre way. I was, I was walking through um, Birmingham and, and I happened to look into a jeweler's shop. I don't quite know why. You know, you sort of window shop. And, and I saw somebody in there that I recognised and he looked at me and, you know, had that sort of we know each other thing. So I walked into this jeweler's shop to chat and I, it was Graham Taylor. I hadn't seen him for sort of five, ten years. And... I thought, oh no, he's not going to remember who I am because he's very famous. He, he was, he'd just finished managing Aston Villa at the time. Um, former England manager. I was in the youth team. 
he's not going to know who I am. But then I thought, I can't now start browsing because it was the most expensive Julius shop in Birmingham. So I, <laughs> so I couldn't pretend to shop. And nor could I turn around and walk out. So we were forced to talk. And it was clear that he, ha- he couldn't remember me. So he was talking to me as if I was some sort of fan. And about two minutes into the conversation, I said, Graham, you, you probably don't remember me. It's Richard Ledbetter. I was in the youth team when you were manager at Wolves and you signed me as a... And his whole demeanour changed. Um, I was no longer a fan, but a former player. And he seemed to remember who I was and we chatted. And it was fascinating because um, I told him what I did. I was working for a church at the time. And he said, I'd love to meet up for coffee, for lunch because I've got lots of questions. So <laughs> my wife is a massive Watford fan. And Graham Taylor was famous mostly for managing Watford in their greatest period of club's history. So I got home and said, darling, <laughs> never guess who I bumped into today um, and who I'm having lunch with next week. And um, she said, can I come? <coughs> no, uh, no. Uh, anyway, so I, I met up with Graham Taylor for lunch and heard his questions. And it was amazing. You know, within two minutes, people were coming up saying, oh, can I have your autograph? Can I have a selfie? And, you know, I said, not now. I'm with Graham Taylor. Um, (laughs) uh, Very famous, Graham. Anyway, his questions were all about identity. Um, He was a lovely, lovely man. Really lovely guy. I think probably the best manager I played with. Um... But he said to me, I've retired. Football is all I know. I'm very wealthy out of football. I'm very famous out of football. But I've got a crisis of identity because I'm retiring. I'm not going to be football manager again. I'm nearer to death. What's it all about? Who am I? The thing that I've been identified with for all my life I'm not that, and I'm not going to be that again. Has Christianity got anything to offer? Hmm. So we had lunch for at least two hours. Talked about Christianity and security and Jesus and uh, gave him a book to read. And we we kept in contact for a little bit. Um, What was the question? Sorry, I've I've, uh, gone off on one. Did I meet any former players? Yeah. Yeah, so... That was a, an example of meeting a former manager who was having this very crisis of identity that we're wow. slightly touching on this evening. Wow. Wow. Um, so do you think it's possible to be really invested in football stroke sport and in Christ? Joe, you know, I've wrestled with this question a lot. Um, I think my short answer is no. I wish it wasn't no. But I think, I think it's no. And the reason I think it's no is to get to the top of any sport, you have to make sacrifices. Um, time, energy, relationships, church. Um, It's a very selfish world. And um, 
I'd love it to be yes, because I think we need Christians in all kinds of fields and all kinds of walks of life. Um, But I've come across a lot of top athletes who are Christians who are really struggling in their faith because they're not part of a church because they're all over the country or all over the world. They're never in one place at one time. They're suspicious of relationships because they don't know whether people want them because they're famous or whether they're really interested in them because they're Christian. Um, You've got to be selfish and Christianity calls you to deny yourself and be selfless. So I think it would be an exceptional person who could be at the very, very top of their sport and be all out for Jesus. That may not be right. I may be proved wrong, but as I've wrestled it through, not just football, but any sport, very, very difficult, very difficult. Mm. And also the things that professional sport throws at you. So certainly for football, you get a lot of money, you get a lot of time, you get a lot of fame, you get very little help and education, and nobody teaches you how to deal with those things. There are temptations and pressures that come your way that make living distinctively for Jesus even harder than it is hmm. normally. And um, what what has been your coming from that background then hmm. uh, into into being being a, a church minister? What's been the biggest struggle for you in Christian ministry? How does that compare? <laughs> in some ways, they're quite similar. I perform up front every week. You know, I, I preach and uh, I don't get sort of in and out of the team based on my preaching, which is a probably a good thing. But there is an element of, I mean, in one sense, life is a sort of performance, isn't it? We're always trying to show people that we're better on the outside than we really are on the inside. Yeah. Um, so there's some similarities. Can you, what was the question again? Um, what has been the biggest struggle for you in Christian ministry and how does it compare? The biggest struggle for me in Christian ministry, I think, is... Um, Gosh, that's a really good question. Uh, I think my own weakness. I think I'm the biggest struggle Struggle. in my Christian ministry. In a way that I was the biggest struggle in my football, you know, in terms of my own ability. Mm. But whereas football, you're competing against people to be the number one. That's not happening in Christian. I'm not competing with people in my church or people on my staff team and so on. Hmm. Um, but the similarity is I, I, my um, my sin, my heart, my wrongdoing, my wrong thinking is the biggest struggling Christian ministry, I think. Hmm. So, so how does your identity in Jesus affect you day to day now? It's a, it's a battle. I'd love to say 
hey, I used to struggle with identity because it used to be in my performance and now it's not in my performance. Deep down I know that I'm loved by Jesus no matter what. I'm absolutely secure in a way I'd never been secure before. I grew up in a loving home. I was, to a degree, successful at something for a short period. But the security I know now as a Christian is a million miles ahead of that sort of security. So that is fundamental and doesn't change. And yet, because everything within me and around me says, you need to be the best. Um, You need to work harder. You need to do better. You don't get anything for free. You've got to earn it. That is a a daily battle of saying, I want to work hard for Jesus, but whether my church grows or shrinks, whether people like my sermons or they don't like my sermons, whether they like whether you like this interview or you don't like like I want to I want to do the best I can for Jesus and I work hard. But but my identity is not rooted in my performance anymore. Hmm. Which gives one a a freedom and a confidence and a to to work hard knowing that I'm not going to be crushed at the end of the day if it goes badly. And I think, final question, is, is there sort of a, um, a moment in your footballing experience that sort of summarises the fickleness of, of playing professional football um, at all? Yeah, there, yeah lots. And there's one that comes immediately to mind, which is I was playing for Hereford, um, in the first team and we weren't playing very well I wasn't playing very well we'd lost sort of two or three games on the trot um, in comparison to three or four months before where I was scoring regularly and we were winning anyway we are going through a bad patch and I was 22, 23 and the ball went out for a throw in near where the Hereford fans I say fans all five of them were standing and um, <laughs> there was a lovely old guy you know, sort of archetypal football fan cap and see that we were struggling. Kind of guy that you think he's just going to encourage you. Anyway, the ball went out by this guy and he said, lead beater. And I looked over to him and said, what is it? He said, I've been coming to watch Hereford for 50 years. And I thought, it's coming. Please just give us some encouragement. He said, in all that time, you're the worst player I've ever seen. <laughs> that happened lots. You know that sort of up and down. We, you know, you're great, you're not great. Yeah. Get him on, get him off. Yeah. yeah. Buy him, sell him. Yeah. And so, you know, it's that kind of thing. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't say that kind of thing. Yeah. He says, you know, I've died on the cross to pay and it's finished yeah so it's my performance that counts not yours huh. brilliant well we're going to have a, a, a another song now um called the way of love um connor's going to come and play that and then i'll i'll just i'll just sum it all up uh, sum the evening up Thank you.
There was a time when I didn't know if I would ever see a sign of real love until I met you. I didn't know about true happiness, about true devotion. I could have the faith, the faith to move a mountain without love. I would be nothing, and I could give all my money away without love. I would gain nothing. I know that you're the main connection that could put me on the track, heading in the right direction. This is the way of love. This is the way of love. No doubt about it, I know it's true. This is the way, this is the way of love. Love is patient and love is kind. That's the kind of love that you give me all the time. I like a love that keeps no record of wrongs. Loves me when I'm good, loves me when I'm not. I know. Whether night or day, I'll be waiting for the moment just to hear you say, "This is the way of love." This is the way of love. No doubt about it, I know it's true. This is the way of love. This is the way of love. This is the way of love. I know it's true. This is the way. This is the way of love. So, having listened to Lady's story about a culture where performance means everything, it reminded me of a story in the Bible, and the and the story is taken from the book of Mark, um, chapter nine. Mark is a, a book in the Bible that records Jesus' uh, life with his followers. And the story goes like this. They, which means Jesus and his followers, came to a town called Capernaum. When he was in a house there, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet because on the way, they'd argued about which of them was the greatest so in, the other, in other words, in the middle of a normal day, a day where Jesus and his followers were walking from one town to the next, there came a quiet moment when Jesus wasn't within earshot, and they began to argue about which of them was the best. And it seems like they'd had a proper Barney about it, because those disciples, Jesus' followers, they had really high hopes for Jesus. See, they thought he was... The Messiah. They believed he was the Messiah. From all that he'd done, they thought he was that great religious teacher God had promised the nation of Israel. Which means they also believed that Jesus would establish a kingdom on earth that would be unstoppable. It meant that Jesus would kick out the Romans that occupied their country, Israel, and he would deal uh, with all their problems. He would be king. Peace and prosperity would rule. That was their belief about the person of Jesus. So it figured in their minds that if they were Jesus' closest followers, then when he came to power, 
the greatest of them would have the greatest share of that new kingdom that Jesus was going to kick off. That's what they were arguing about. They were arguing about performance and how their performance would be rewarded when Jesus established his kingdom. And in their minds, it was a game of top trumps worth winning. So how does Jesus respond? Well, let me read you the rest of the story. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed amongst them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. It's amazing. Jesus takes their discussion and completely turns it on its head. It's humbling to think that there he was with these 12 rough-looking men, some of them hardened fishermen, and he sits them down and he teaches them a lesson by picking up a little child and holding it in his arms. Even more so when you remember, children in those days were two a penny. Uh, They died easily. They, They were a burden to the poor. They were often exploited. They were the least of the least of the low. And Jesus picks one up and says, here's your example. And he's turning that that argument that the disciples had about who was the top and used used that argument as a backdrop to show them what his kingdom was really like. He wanted them to know that his kingdom is not about performance for the king. Rather, it's about a loving relationship with the king. And that gives identity. When identity is found in that relationship, when you truly follow Jesus, you're able to realize that performance doesn't matter in his kingdom. That's why he gets the child in his arms. Because when you know the king, you're like that little child in the king's arms. Loved, protected, in relationship with the king, and your identity is grounded in a greater love, a greater acceptance, a greater value. It means you can leave performance at the door. And when you look at our culture, not just the sports culture, but our culture broadly, we're driven by performance. Performance in social media, performance in work, in family, in school, in social spheres. It makes us worry about what we're going to look like on our Instagram page. How hard we work. It makes us worry about what school our children are in, what our, what, who are our friends, and even things like who is friends with the cool bunch of parents at the school gate. We don't want to be left out. We don't want to be left behind. We don't want to be the person who's being let go. So our culture is so focused on performance that it creates the same insecurities that Letty was talking about in the sports world. And Jesus asks us to compare Compare the drivenness of our culture with that child in Jesus' arms. There's no performance being measured there. 
that child is just receiving acceptance and love and belonging. That same security and peace can be ours. Because, as Ladies just said, Christianity is not about performance. Christianity is about a relationship with God, just like that child had with Jesus. And you might be asking, well, how do, how do I have that? How do I have that relationship with Jesus? Well, do you know, it's wonderful because it's, it's not one. A relationship with Jesus is not one. Actually, all Jesus asks us to do is start a conversation. To start a, a conversation, to, to, to talk to him and say, look, Jesus, I've misunderstood you. I've misunderstood what your kingdom's about. And we talk to him and we say, do you know, that peace, that, that, that security, that, that non-judgmental love and acceptance that you gave that kid, I want that for myself. I want a relationship with you where, where it's not about what I have to do. I want a relationship with you where you have done the work and offer to accept me for who I am. Listen, I, I, I'd love to explain more about that personally. If, if, you, if you want, uh, you can come talk to me or, or Letty um, or, or anyone who's, who's got a lanyard. Do, do ask them. Pick their brains. How can I have that relationship with God that is not performance-based? A relationship with Jesus, our King. Or if you're not at that point yet but want to find out more, um, in the toast rack in front of you, um, there, are, there are loads of things that you can take away. Uh, but just to draw your attention to some of them, um, one of them is a, is a, 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 a leaflet that just says, uh, um, the real Jesus. Who is the real Jesus? It helps you find out more about him. Uh, we've also got a Christianity Explored course um, starting on the 24th of Feb. It's a great opportunity. What, what I love about this is a bunch of people sitting around a good pile of cakes and cookies that the church has made for us. And, and we can ask any question we like about Jesus. But we go through the, the, the book of Mark that I've just read from and we look at him together. And, and, and all the, the richness of, of his character just come leaping out the page and, and help us understand more about who he is, what he's done for us and how it's possible for us to have a relationship with the king. Lastly, if you'd like just to share your thoughts or just to ask a question, there are these cards on your, on your tables as well. Um, do take one away or, or fill one out now. Um, and, and there's a box on the way out that, that you can just pop those in. Um, if you want to ask them anonymously or put your name down so we can catch up for a coffee, I'd love to do that. But I, I hope that... Um, I hope that... You know, that, that we, as we've been listening to Letty, um, we've been hearing about actually this world of performance that we live in and actually how it's possible to leave that at the door and accept Jesus' offer to take us up in his arms and to accept us for who we are, not what we've done, and to love us on those terms as well. I hope that is just a taster. I'm not saying that's the whole story, but I hope that's just a taster that encourages us and invites us to find out more, to work out for ourselves how it's possible.
that we too can know the king just like that child did, just like Leddy does today. Well, thank you so much for coming uh, this evening. The last thing to say is there's a bookstall over in, in uh, just over by the door, the, the big door over there. Uh, the books on that stall are, are one pound each. If you want to just grab one, uh, throw a quid in the box, um, that would be great. And if you want to browse through our, our other bookstall, which is uh, other books more deep, uh, more, more, um, those are real lives books. Those are a bit uh, wider, broader topics books. Uh, do have a, uh, um, a look at those. But thank you for coming this evening. It's been a really great evening. Uh, thanks to Colin uh, for, for all the, the songs that you've pray, played and, and for Lady for coming over from Guildford um, to spend an evening with us. Can we just say a, a big thanks to, to him? So do carry on your conversations that you were having earlier. There's still some nibbles to to finish off. Um, Thanks for coming this evening. It's been really, really lovely to have you.